0: Hello and welcome to Homestead Hens and Honey, a beekeeping, chicken keeping and general homesteading podcast. Today is episode 24 and I'm going to be talking about what's going on in my hives, what's going on in the homestead and then a little bit more in detail about my very first honey harvest. So I'm postponing more chapter reviews from The Lives of Bees by Thomas Seeley until next week when we'll be covering um, two chapters, one of which is on reproduction, which I'm really looking forward to and I hope you are as well. So just some general homesteading news. Um, Dottie, who was the hen that um, I thought had an upper respiratory infection and I had in the house for a while, And then I moved to the special needs coop so that I could have an easier time identifying which egg was hers because there is a withdrawal period where you shouldn't consume eggs after that hen has been eating um, or taking the medication that I was giving her, which was an antibiotic. So Dottie finished her meds, she went to the special needs coop and as I expected, she beat the stuffing out of the poor special needs girls, which includes Agatha. But the problem was is that once she became top hen, she didn't stop picking on them. So it's normal when you introduce a chicken that the pecking order gets readjusted. And I did expect her to end up on top because she comes from a much more aggressive flock. They're much more demanding. They take the pecking order a lot more seriously and they don't suffer weakness. But she was such a B word um, and it got completely out of hand to the point that I decided um, that I would just throw away all the brown eggs from the big coop because she just had to go back there. I couldn't I couldn't stand seeing how scared the special needs girls were. So I decided that um, it was too hot at that point to do a slow introduction by using a crate so that the other chickens could, you know, see her and smell her and peck at her, but not actually harm her through the crate, which is how I like to introduce chickens. It was just too hot. There wasn't anywhere I could put her that would guarantee she would stay cool enough during the day. So what I decided to do is I went out late at night. um, I think it was about 11 o'clock. And I took her from the small coop and I put her in the big coop when everyone was sleeping because sometimes in the morning when the girls wake up, they will not be quite as harsh on the newly introduced chicken because they all woke up together. And um, I went out at 11 and I felt awful because I get out there and all three of my special needs girls are in the run because they're too afraid to go into the coop where Dottie is sleeping all by herself. So I picked her up and I had some choice words for her about what an awful Uh, top hen she was before I popped her in the big coop and when I came out the next morning to check on everyone she was low on the pecking order again in the big flock which is where she was before but no one was bleeding there was no signs of fighting in fact when I put some treats down for them they didn't even really go for her to remind her of her place so that's um actually went pretty well and i was pleased and i only had to throw our eggs for uh two days at that point so that was really really good and things have settled down now and um the special needs girls were very relieved that she was gone and went right back to normal afterwards poor agatha it was at the point that i couldn't open the run door because agatha would come charging out because she was definitely getting the worst of the bullying from um dotty so anyway that's done But because the chickens like to make sure that I always have something to do, I currently have another chicken in the house because um, I mentioned previously that Bubbles, one of my um, Cleveland special needs hens, had diarrhea and loose poop. And so I had been giving her this kind of like an over-the-counter wormer. It wasn't a prescription wormer. And I did see an improvement, but then it got worse again. And I scooped her up the other day for a lice treatment and she felt really thin. And she's always been thinner, but this was quite a lot. And so I decided that I'd bring her in the house because I really want to monitor her fluid consumption, how much she's actually eating, because I have seen her eating, but I want to know exactly how much she's eating in a day. And also uh, my husband had bought panicure which is a wormer and metronidazole which is a broad spectrum wormer for our water snake hatchling which I don't know if anyone recalls I think I mentioned him before we called him surplus because my husband placed an order for uh, research animals for some of his um, biomechanical research And um, they sent this guy by accident, like he asked for adult snakes and he received adults and an extra baby. And when he contacted them, they were like, oh, he's not valuable enough for you to bother sending him back. You can just keep him. We didn't really want a water snake. He couldn't use him for the research because they all had to be, you know, a similar size Uh, But we kept him because he was really, really cute and we felt bad. And he just hasn't been growing as well as we'd hoped. So we decided that because he's probably from a wild-caught specimen, um, we're going to worm him. So we have Panicure on hand. We have Metronidazole. I'm going to try both with her. But I was just going through... My chicken health handbook, and I was really flummoxed because I've, you know, looked at all the causes of diarrhea, and there's there's quite a few, but generally they fall into three categories. So one is uh, bacteria, which would require antibiotics, but for an adult hen, a number of those are relatively uncommon. So I'm not saying that it definitely isn't that, but the symptoms don't fit as neatly. The other category is um, some kind of, you know, intestinal parasite or protozoan. And I'm sort of already planning on treating for that. And then the third is some kind of viral disease where the hen will either recover or pass away. And with the time that it's going on for, I don't really think it's viral either. Also just based on her symptoms and also the fact that the other chickens aren't showing the chickens that she lives with and that are exposed to her and share the same water and feed her and, and you know walk in her poo. And if they were going to get it, they should have whatever she has and they don't. So I was a little flummoxed. And then I realized that something I hadn't considered is heat stress. So chickens, when they reach certain temperatures due to... Um, the weather can develop heat stress and it's particularly problematic if the air temperature is in the 90s and the humidity is also very high which is weather that we've had lately and some signs of this will be a lower egg production which I have seen from all of my hens sometimes you'll see uh thin shells or um shells that don't have um shells that don't have eggs that don't have a shell at all or as rubbery or they might stop laying eggs completely you can sometimes see panting they might become lethargic if it gets very extreme but one of the big things is that they drink a huge amount of water which both lowers the amount of calcium that they have and also means that they produce diarrhea because there's just so much water coming into their body and and it's coming out uh, through urates and uh, with their feces and having her inside you know I can really see that it's a mix of diarrhea and a huge amount of watery urates and I also noticed that that coop the special needs coop was going through water really really fast well since I brought her inside which was yesterday they now have a lot more water left out in the coop And her water inside has gone down dramatically. So I'm actually wondering if some of this might just be that she just is having a really, really hard time with the heat for whatever reason. And then in that case, I would hope to see a change in her within the next 24, 48 hours because I have her in an air conditioned room where it's much cooler. There's no real um, humidity and I'm keeping her really clean and all that sort of good stuff. So watch this space. I'll let you know how things go. If I don't see an improvement within the next couple of days, I'm going to be medicating her with the Panicure first to see how that helps. And in the meantime, I'm increasing her protein because I did read that um, you should increase protein during uh, periods of heat stress. And I might actually get some... um, higher protein treats and even feed for my hens to see if that gives them a little bit of a boost in other kind of sickly or animal news uh Kaylee who I spoke last time about her surgery she's done so well she's like a whole new dog um we're, we're just absolutely delighted um She eats with enthusiasm. She actually runs to her crate now. We haven't had any instances of her refusing food. Her gums look amazing. Um, She just had her her kind of distance follow up with the vet and he's really pleased with her progress and said that we can start moving her to um, just wetter food now because we've been giving her completely mushy food and now she can have just wetted kibble. And then he thinks do that for two weeks if she's doing well with that we can eventually just move to regular kibble and see how she does with it dry so we're really really pleased also on July 13th my husband and I celebrated 12 years of marriage which um, we couldn't go out like we usually would um, obviously because of the pandemic but our favorite restaurant is doing uh, takeout so we did like uh, a no contact pickup order and I got my favorite bottle of wine which is a rosé and um, we like had some really really good food and watched um, horror movies together which is one of our favorite things to do and it was just really lovely and then on the 19th it was five years since I adopted my whippet Chappie, who is it's going to sound terrible because I just talked about my wedding anniversary. The love of my life. Um, I always tease my husband that Chappie is my soulmate um, and Henry is is just my husband. <laughs> but um, Chappie is my male Whippet. He's my adventure Whippet. He really changed my life. Um, I am a Whippet person now. I thought I was a Greyhound person and I kind of am. But if I could only have one breed of dog for the rest of my life, it would be Whippets. And when we got Chappie, he was this two-year-old little guy. We we were living in Georgia, and we drove to South Carolina to pick him up. And his breeder was um, a very interesting lady, and she had been in the dog show world for a long time with whippets and Rhodesian Ridgebacks, actually. And she had Grand Champion, um, which I guess is a very high up or maybe even the highest kind of uh, show honor you can get for your dog and she had those for Rhodesian Ridgebacks but she'd never quite achieved it for her whippets and so this litter that Chappie was part of had been planned to produce hopefully her grand champion and she actually hoped that it would be Chappie however he was born and when he was getting bigger he had an undescended testicle and that immediately disqualifies him from the show world so it's considered a flaw that means that he cannot be a show dog which she was very upset about and then at the same time the dogs were old enough for her to notice this problem she sadly became very very sick and was in and out of hospital and as a result she didn't get to show any of the dogs and she didn't really gets to do much work with them at all so she lived on a beautiful property uh, very rural and she fenced in five acres or seven acres and um she would between her and her husband with her husband working and her trying to work but mainly being in and out of hospital what they would do is they'd let all the dogs out during the day and they'd have you know cool areas set up for them and water and food and the dogs would all just run wild like this pack of whippets and ridgebacks would just run wild on all this acreage and then they'd come in at night and be crated overnight and that was kind of their life so when we picked up chappie He had never been in a car, he'd never worn a collar or a harness, he'd never been on leash, he hadn't been to a vet because, like a lot of people in more rural areas, she bought all the vaccines and did all the vaccines herself. Um, So he, he just hadn't experienced a lot of things. So we went to meet him and we actually got a chance to meet his brother, who we were also offered as a possibility. And I remember we met his brother first, and the brother was a very beautiful dog, but he had no interest in us. Um, we took our greyhound Kaylee, so that uh, we could see if they would get along. And um, he kind of sniffed Kaylee and then wandered off, and that was it. This this dog had no interest in us. Meanwhile, Chappie comes out and um he was really interested in us he was bright he was jumping at us he was really like wanted to sniff us and then he wanted to sniff Kaylee and then he wandered around with her and he just was much more engaged and he kept on coming back to us so I knew that he was the right fit um we also got to meet Chappy's Sire who uh lived on the property and was so cute and apparently because i just heard from the breeder actually that he's still going strong he's about 12 13 years old now and he's a little slower but still running wild and um still loves to come in and cuddle and all that good stuff and uh chappy's kind of fell madly in love with Kaylee it was really funny um he just followed her around totally starstruck and right before we left he actually tried to mount her which Kaylee was not having (laughs) Um, but yeah he was a really really nice dog so we uh thanked the breeder we paid her we loaded chaps up in the car and we went home and then was probably about six months of I don't know I want to say misery, but that's not really fair. It was learning a lot. So he was wild and he did have a hard time uh, adjusting to wearing a collar. He was scared at the vets. He ran around the house like a crazy dog. He marked really badly until we had him fixed. And I was super worried that he wouldn't grow out of it because he was, he was two, almost three. And usually if they're marking up to that age sometimes having them fixed won't help it's just become a habit and I was nervous because because he had the undescended testicle you can't it you can't just go in and take the one testicle that's descended you have to actually open up the abdominal cavity find the undescended testicle and remove it because otherwise the chances of it becoming cancerous are really high so it's a much more involved surgery and I was very nervous about it and he did not want to go with my vet. Like the vet came out to get him and Chappie was just like, please no. And put the brakes on and they had to pick him up and carry him away. And since that day, he has never trusted another vet so he will go in the vet's office he will be in the waiting room but if someone tries to take him away from me and lead him back by himself I really believe that he thinks that somehow he's going to lose even more testicles (laughs) and he just does not want to go so I have to walk with him or I had to tell them to pick him up um but yeah he just I mean I cleaned up so much pee he used to fling himself on the bed and his nails would like scratch through and rip all the sheets so I went through all these bed sheets but at the same time like he made me laugh he was so bonded to me he followed me everywhere um I found out that no normal leash was strong enough so he broke a leash he would get out of harnesses by jumping twisting and then he would be off and the harness still connected together would be on the ground and that happened twice and so I had to have a special harness called a spook harness made for him which goes around his chest and goes around his um tuck area so it's like a double connector and the first time he realized he couldn't get out of that harness he had a meltdown like a toddler who'd just been told no for the first time like literally like jumping up and down thrashing his body from side to side barking howling whining an absolutely epic tantrum and then he just sat down with this look on his face like he was sulking up a storm it was I know I shouldn't laugh but it was freaking hilarious um and um yes ever since he has learned that he cannot escape the harness and he's become much better on the leash and he's my favorite partner to go hiking with and I just I could wax poetic forever isn't it sad I've sort of glossed over my wedding anniversary because there's lots to say about how much I love my husband I mean I really do we are the perfect friends and that's what I love about us is that you know we're really good friends we've grown together but I just love my chappies so much <laughs> so uh, anyway enough about chappie uh, and then on July 28th it's my birthday and I'm going to be 35 so I have already bought myself some fancy tequila to celebrate and uh, I- I'll have to have a think about what we can do without you know going out somewhere populated because of the um, pandemic and speaking of you might recall me saying a couple of episodes ago about how our governor caved to pressure and was did a 50% open and how I said, watch this space, it's going to be bad. Well, it's bad. And uh, my county and a number of other counties are now considered level three, which is basically, it, we are a hotspot for COVID. And as a result, a number of areas, including mine, have uh, made masks mandatory now I've been wearing a mask since probably the first couple of weeks past when this all started I, I started wearing a mask and um, now of course it's mandatory but I still see a lot of people not wearing them and there's no repercussions whatsoever in fact I was at the supermarket today And there was just a guy wandering around without a mask and actually talking to staff. And there's signs up everywhere saying that you'll be asked to leave, but he wasn't. So it's just, I feel like it's never ending and that we're not going to see the end of this until there's a vaccine because people just won't comply with what has been recommended by the people who study this. Um, And to make things worse, you know, my area has a huge amount of people who are going on about how it violates their freedoms to wear a mask and that they don't believe that it's real and they don't believe that this is really happening or they don't believe that you can be asymptomatic or they don't believe that people are dying and it's just depressing it's it's just so depressing to see it um okay (sighs) apparently I needed that so I'm sorry (laughs) I'm sorry I shouldn't run um but let's just say on a lighter note that yes things have been getting to me (laughs) um but I'm on top of it and um Maybe, perhaps, because of the stress, I know I've mentioned before that I do a date night, as I call it, with with one of my besties because we both have isolated ourselves so much, and so we get together uh, because it's like the only safe contact that we have outside of our partners. And we got together last Friday and uh, she introduced me to this cocktail called the Jasmine. And it's a mix of gin, vermouth, orange liqueur and fresh lemon juice. It comes out a beautiful pink colour and it's absolutely delicious. If you love sort of tart, little citrusy drinks, this is just for you. I, I don't know what's wrong with us because we've had stronger drinks before, but we got absolutely legless um, just totally hammered shit-faced you know whatever you want to call it we were ridiculous and we watched a ton of hilarious videos and we laughed and joked around and just had the best time and I couldn't drive home obviously so I had an impromptu sleepover where all her cats slept with me which was hilarious and um I don't know I woke up the next day and I felt a lot better about things and I had a lot more clarity the next day Um, and so as a result I am going to be talking to my psychiatrist about changing my antidepressants I feel like it's time Uh, these just aren't working for me I don't think I'm just irritable (laughs) as you might have noticed and it's been ongoing for a while so I'm going to do that and I'm getting back into therapy which I've been putting off So we'll see how things go. Watch this space. Maybe I'll be more cheerful. Who knows? Maybe I will not rant at you. And and I'm sorry, I shouldn't. Because I know pretty much all of you listening are probably wearing your masks. Um, From my social media pages, it looks like a lot of you are being amazing and supportive of your communities. And not just about wearing your masks, but like giving back however you can. And I really appreciate it. And I thank you all so much for doing that because we really can't get through this unless we all help out. So, that aside, I'm sorry that went on a little long. Um, but let's get into some real business. <laughs> uh let's talk about the hives. So the weather's been very, very hot, and we've also had some days of really high humidity. But uh the nectar flow is still going strong here, and I've seen huge amounts of activity in my hives and Even though bees can get irritable in high heat um, I actually have found them to be still quite relaxed when I've gone out and some of that is because I did choose the location so it's not being subjected to full sun all day. In fact it's mostly shaded at this time of year and then conversely in the winter it does get more sunshine. So that is working to their benefit which I am pleased to see because I sometimes go back and forth on whether it is the right location or not but I really think it is. So just to run through the hives real quick, hive number one, which is my Ohio queen, there's still backfilling going on. So they're still, you know, as soon as those new bees are emerging, packing the cells with uh, nectar or pollen before the queen can get there and lay eggs. But they're also actively drawing comb, like producing wax on the frames I'm putting in. So things are actually evening out a little bit and it's not as bad as it was. There are a few deep frames that are almost ready to be extracted, but not quite there yet, so I'm just keeping an eye on them. I did take two medium frames from this hive for my recent honey harvest. And right now there's two deep boxes and one medium, which are a really, really good mix of brood, pollen and honey. I really like what I'm seeing in those three boxes. Now I put a queen excluder on top of those and I had a medium over the queen excluder and they are actively drawing wax on those frames and as soon as the wax is pulled they are packing in the honey so I think eventually I'm going to have a full super to extract but they're not filling quite as fast as my Saskatraz hive is so I'm going to give them a couple of weeks I'm just popping my head in every now and then and just making sure they have the space and making sure that they're still uh, working on that honey super. So for hive number two, which is my southern queen. uh, Again, there is backfilling going on. Um, They're also still making a fair amount of queen cups on the bottom of the frames. But I'm not seeing as big of a drone production here. So I think that I am holding them kind of from swarming. I don't think they've made that decision yet, but I am keeping a close eye on things. Um, This hive also has a queen excluder on. And in the super above it, the bees are pulling wax and filling with honey. So I am pleased with how that's going. Again, these girls aren't the fastest at wax production, but it's well within sort of normal parameters for this time of year. Um, and I'm, I'm pleased with it. I like what I'm seeing. Um, the queen does have room to lay. And um, her brood pattern is still just absolutely gorgeous and I keep bringing it up because this is the queen that last year my first year with her she went through this time of year actually where she just didn't lay as much in fact I was worried she'd stopped laying and when she did lay it wasn't great but this year it's just been absolutely phenomenal and I and I guess that's a good point about You know, some people are are very quick to recommend requeening. And I do think requeening is a tool that we should always have ready because it's something that we're probably going to have to do at some point. But I kind of fell into it and I was like, oh, I'm really unhappy with it. Maybe I should requeen. And I spoke to one of my teachers and they said, no, like give her a chance. Like genetics are going to play a part here. It could be that she's slowing down for a reason and then she's gonna pick up again in the fall before winter. And that is kind of what I saw. And I'm really glad that I did heed their advice because just what she's doing this year is, is just stunning. It's like that classic frame of, the middle segment being a beautiful semicircle just packed full of brood and then a little um, like rainbow above of pollen and then above that on the edges is honey and it's just perfection I'm so excited about it um, and then in terms of like honey extraction uh, a lot of the frames underneath the queen excluder are just a mix of brood and honey so they're not suitable but one frame in the honey super above the queen excluder was ready to extract this week and so before I cleaned off my extractor after the big harvest I had I took that out. So hive number three which just as a quick reminder because I think I mentioned this in the last episode that I split this hive so hive number three is now it's Saskatraz genetics but it's the queenless split or this queenless part of the split because remember when you do a split you always want to take the queen to a new location as sort of a mimicking what would happen if she had swarmed so hive number three is currently queenless but they have pulled lots and lots of queen cells on multiple frames so when I went in this week I actually broke down some small ones that I didn't like the look of that much they were just very very small and I left four large good sized queen cells that are um capped so hopefully i will have queens emerging soon um and the first queen to emerge remember will uh kill her sisters and then if the weather holds like it has been she will spend roughly five to seven days uh building up her flight muscles and her exoskeleton and then she will go on her mating flights so fingers crossed because it would be really really lovely if they can successfully requeen now this hive I split it because it was absolutely bursting at the seams with bees and I could barely work it because there were just so many and it's like you can smoke them as much as you want but they all run down and they're all cramped down there and they just come back up again and I don't like to over smoke a hive because I find that it makes them irritable so you know really we're just reaching a point where I wanted to split them and again, big population here, uh, but it is easier to work with. They are drawing wax, like absolute champs. I I just have never seen build up like this from this uh, this saskatras genetics. It's absolutely phenomenal. And actually, um, when I did the split, I took eight frames from a medium to uh, extract. And after I did my honey harvest, I returned five frames to them, and I basically staggered the frame. So it would be one frame that had the comb on it, one uh, foundation only frame, and then another with comb and so on. And just to kind of help boost them and uh, encourage them to build even more wax for me. And they're also calm. So they do have brood in there. They have their queen cells. There's no reason they shouldn't be calm. But because I've heard that Saskatchewan bees can be a little spicy sometimes, I'm just keeping an eye out for it. So hive number four is my saskatraz queen hive. So she's moved to a new location. She's actually with the nuke, the nuke colonies right now. And um, when I did the split, I took a deep and a medium, and I gave the this part of the split the medium that was um, they had pulled all the wax on the frames, but they were still in the process of packing them full of honey. And it looks now that they're they're making really good progress on filling that honey super for me and uh, actually it looks like in the deep box they have been using some of the honey for food and so the queen definitely has room to lay and I'm really pleased with how things are going they have a good morale Um, they're still very docile the queen is still laying absolutely beautifully Um, she does still love to hide from me (laughs) she's very quick and shy but Uh, when I do see her she's absolutely stunning and she's doing a great job and um, we'll have to see how the honey uh, or the nectar flow goes I think that I probably will take the honey from them to extract again in a couple of weeks when it's ready but it's going to depend because if we go into a dearth um, I'll have to decide carefully because here in Ohio we are supposed to have a second nectar flow in the fall when like the golden rod starts to bloom but I really just want to be careful that because I've done a split now I want to make sure that I don't take enough that if something goes wrong they won't have enough to help them build up for winter so I'm trying to just figure out you know timings and uh, what's happening in nature and, and we'll see uh, but I think I can probably take some honey from them so the nuke number one, which should be Ohio genetics, because I remember taking from my Ohio queen for this nuke, their buildup is a little slow. Um, they're not drawing wax as fast as I would like, but the laying pattern from this queen is good and the workers are docile, they're active, and there's a decent amount of uh, drone population as well. So all sort of things that I would like to see. Now, in nuke number two, this is either Ohio or Saskatraz jeans because they got eggs from both. And they might be Saskatraz because the buildup from them has been absolutely phenomenal. Like they are pulling wax like champions. The brood pattern from this queen is gorgeous, like absolutely picture perfect. She's fat. She's beautiful. She's definitely my favorite from the nucleus colonies this year. And actually they're filling things in so well that the uh, top box I gave them is almost full. And I'm considering getting a third box for them um, just to keep them busy and to prevent swarming. And something that I did notice about this queen is that the math wasn't adding up. And my husband suggested that she could be the queen from Nuke 1 so if you remember, I had a queen cell, I had queen cells in nucleus, in the first nucleus colony. And there I went in, and I saw that queens had hatched. But I assumed when I didn't end up with a, a laying queen in that one, and they started pulling queen cells again, that she had not returned from her mating flight, because there are plenty of things that can get a queen when she's out doing her mating flight. But... Kind of looking at the timeline, it's also possible that maybe that queen came back from her mating flights but went to the nuke next door because I have them oriented in the same way and they're right next to each other and I'm what and my husband suggested that and I thought that was kind of genius and I'm wondering could that have happened? Because it would sort of explain why the timelines are off. It would explain why nucleus number two has built up so fast because that queen's older. So she's had more time to lay and therefore has more population. So maybe, I don't know, but I thought that was an interesting thing to share. Now, nuke number three is the one that had A really, really small queen that I was a little worried about. Well, she's fattened up a lot and she's very calm. She's very placid. Um, Based on the frames that I gave them, this is either Ohio jeans or Southern. And... I want to say Southern because she is so unimpressed by me in the sense that I can have that frame with her on and I can turn it every which way and I can get full sunlight on it and she doesn't care. She just tromps around doing her business and that's just like my Southern queen. She is the most docile of all my queens and she never seems bothered by being exposed at all. Um, So anyway, they're building up okay. They're on track. Uh, not as fast as I'd like and because I don't have them in nucleus boxes I have them in a 10 frame deep box and then I put a 10 frame medium on top once I did my um, honey extraction I gave them five frames to work with because that had comb on it it gives them a little bit of a head start because really last winter I learned that bare minimum I need a deep box of brood and bees and I need a medium full of honey. That's my bare minimum to get them through winter and I feed on top of that. So you know I wanted to keep an eye on them. I'm quite pleased with how they're doing but I noticed recently that they pulled some queen cups in the middle of frames. Now again queen cups can just be a sign that they are quote-unquote practicing it's normal to see queen cups but because I've had concerns about the size of this queen I did not knock them down I left them because if they are considering getting rid of the queen um, and those are going to end up being supersed cells I don't want to interrupt with that process because as I've said before the bees know things that I don't and I'm not going to knock down their work if they have made the decision that that queen isn't mated well enough isn't genetically diverse enough if something's going on with her that they can smell or sense i want them to be free to do what they can so i need to pop my head in actually um probably tomorrow if i if the weather allows and just kind of see what's going on there so overall things are going very well so i have four hives now and um three nucleus colonies i'm really pleased with what i'm seeing i am honestly just delighted that I got three mated queens from my nucleus colonies just by letting them do it themselves. And I'm really hoping that my uh, Saskatraz queenless split hive will produce a beautiful queen for me as well because those genes are phenomenal and I'm absolutely delighted. And there's a very strong chance that I'm going to buy another package with a Saskatraz queen next year because I've just been blown away by how incredibly well they're doing i mean people tell you don't you're not going to get honey from a package your first year and um yes i gave them a boost because i sadly had a hive die so i was able to give them drawn frames to work with but still i mean they have produced more wax than any of my other colonies that overwintered this year and they produce more honey and i'm just tickled i love them i am i'm a convert and i just hope that um This is something that's consistent in all Saskatras genetics because I am just absolutely in love with them. Okay, so on to the main topic today, um, which is all about my very first honey harvest. Yay! Delicious honey. Um, So. Yes, I finally, I finally got to do it. I finally got to take honey from my hives. And I know I always say I do not, I didn't get into beekeeping because of honey. I got into beekeeping because I love bees. And that's still true. But it's really, really exciting to get to take honey from your bees. And instead of buying honey from my local beekeepers, I get to eat my own honey. So I've kind of broken this down into sections that I hope kind of make it a little bit more uh, easy to follow along with. So I'm going to start with preparation. So what did I do to prepare for my honey harvest? So the first thing I did was to try and figure out where I would actually be doing the extraction. And that was a little difficult because I don't have a huge amount of places that were suitable. Because what I was looking for is I was looking for an enclosed area because I didn't want to be attracting bees or flies or wasps. Um, I needed it to be somewhere that I wouldn't care if it did get a bit messy like somewhere that's easy to clean or not like a main living space and then obviously I had to rule out places like bathrooms because I mean no one wants honey that you extracted in a bathroom I don't even if you cleaned it it just that doesn't feel right Um, and then on a similar line I didn't want to choose a room that I don't know had open cleaning products in it or that I would have to regularly use because I needed it just solely to focus on the honey extraction. So I ended up using my laundry room um, in part because I have the floor space in there for it. Uh, I could, you know, obviously I wouldn't use the machines when I'm doing this. I could cover everything with layers of plastic and this my laundry room is really ugly. Like the paint on the wall is old and it needs to be repainted. The quote unquote carpet, that's generous calling it a carpet, is gross. And it's long been my uh, wish to rip that whole thing up and put tile down. And it is a room that I'm going to work on. So I'm like, look, worst case scenario, if the plastic gets shifted or doesn't work, whether I get honey everywhere, it's not the end of the world. So I went in, I cleaned the whole room. I moved out anything that you know wasn't huge like the washer and dryer and then I put that plastic everywhere and um, you know got set up so one thing I did to prepare was I made sure that I had a spare box or or super ready that was completely empty to move frames into because I was hoping I could take just the whole honey super off the Saskatraz hive But as it turned out there were only eight frames that were ready so I had I wanted to it was good that I took that extra box because I could move them into that. I also collected my plastic buckets so these are big food grade plastic buckets with really really like tight like airtight lids that you put on them and these are great to have on hand for things like Um, catching the wax cappings when you're uncapping a frame for storing your honey in and for general cleanup and I was really fortunate because my bee neighbor gave me uh, three or four different size buckets earlier this year because he has a pretty sweet deal with like I think it's a bakery or something and and they give him the old um, like fondant buckets that uh, they don't reuse them so he gets to reuse them for honey storage or um he's converted some into feeders so I was really grateful I got those all cleaned and dry and I had them ready to go and then I also had a a honey settling or dispensing bucket it's like a five gallon or 60 pound food grade plastic bucket with a honey um oh what's it called? oh a honey gate on it and so I washed that and then I dried it and I had it already and I did the same with my extractor I made sure my extractor was clean I made sure the uncapping knife was clean I made sure that anything that was coming into contact with the uh, frames and the honey would be nice and clean and everything was ready so let's talk a little bit about my extractor I have a vivo v-i-v-o four frame electric extractor and it can hold four deep frames or eight medium if you go with the medium frames they're radially extracted so that means that both sides are, um, are extracted at once so the honey comes out of both sides and then if you do the deep frames they are tangentially extracted which means that you extract one side stop the machine flip the frames around and then it extracts the other side So when I cleaned the extractor beforehand I just used cold water and then a clean cloth to uh, dry it out and um when I put this I actually ended up cleaning it multiple times because I cleaned all the pieces that came when it was brand new and then after I put it together it, it somehow was messy again so I had to clean it again and putting it together was a lot harder than it should have been so I'm not the handiest person um and um I did stupid things like I put the lid pieces on the wrong way and I had to completely unscrew everything and then put them back and um, that was my fault because the lids have this extra little feature on them so that uh, when you close the lid it presses a button and that lets the motor that basically tells the motor that it's safe to run and if those buttons aren't pressed your extractor will not run which is a great feature because it means that you can never accidentally forget to close the lid, run it and then have honey splattering everywhere. So once I had redone the lids so that they fit properly, um, I then went to check that the motor was running and realized that the drum or basket that holds the frames had somehow disconnected. So I had to go back in and had to get my husband to help and I reconnected that and then I ran the motor and thank God everything was running because at that point, if it wasn't, I would have been at the end of my rope. And then what I did is I took some empty frames and I put them in and then I ran it again to just kind of test to make sure that everything was okay and I did notice at this point that it wasn't perfectly balanced and um, so I knew that I was going to have to work on that once I was ready to extract and part of this lack of balance is because um, I can't bolt it to the floor because I don't want to drill into the floor of my laundry room Um, so I knew going in that this might be something that I would deal with because a lot of extractors are built so you can just bolt them down to keep them really secure so the actual extraction Um, so I took out my empty super that I could move honey frames into and I used my handy dandy garden cart because I knew based on like my hive inspections how heavy honey supers would be and I knew I wouldn't be able to carry it back to the house so I had my cart ready and um, I didn't use a bee escape or a triangle board to move the bees from the honey supers down um, and some of that was just that um, when I went to order triangle boards when I placed my big supply order in the spring I they were out of stock and the only places I could find that had them, the shipping was as expensive as the triangle board and I was just like no, I mean beekeeping is an expensive hobby particularly when you're getting started and I wasn't going to spend that money on it so instead I had a bee brush and what I did is I would go out and I would pull out a frame of honey and I would just double check to make sure it was 100% or 98% capped and the reason for this is because um you want honey to have less than, I forgot to write this down, but I believe it's 18% water content because otherwise if there's water in there, it's going to spoil. And you can use something called a refractometer where you basically put a little drop of the honey on it and it reads it and it basically tells you what the exact water content is. But I don't have one of those. And it was kind of a choice of mine to not invest in it because everything I've read basically said that if the frame has been capped by the bee, so if the bees have gone over that honey cell and they have capped it with wax and a frame has 90% capped cells on it or more, then you should be safe because a bee will get that right water concentration for storage. The bee knows. So that's what I did. I just looked at the frames and almost all of them were 100% capped. And I would say only a handful, like 98, maybe 97% capped. So I was pretty confident that I was working with honey that had the right water content. So I'd take the frame out, I'd look at both sides and then I would gently bang it down on the honey super and some bees would fall off and the rest would cling on. So then I'd get my bee brush and I'd move away from the hive because these bees should be older bees. The nurse bees are all in the brood area so i can brush these bees off and they're going to fly back to the hive so as i was walking away from the hive i very very gently brushed off the bees and then i would place the frame about six foot away from all of the hives and this distance worked really well for me it didn't seem to attract the bees now in the fall when the bees are feeling the pressure of oncoming winter, they're cranky, they are more likely to start robbing behaviour at the smell of honey, this probably isn't going to work for me. But for right now, there's a nectar flow, food is plentiful, they are docile, it was not an issue to just leave the frames about six foot away in that extra super that I got. And I will say, this whole experience of taking honey brushing the bees was incredible because brushing isn't fun uh for the bees I should say it's it's fun for me it's not fun for the bees um you know it disorientates them they uh fly around they get kind of mad sometimes um if you do it too roughly you can squish them so you need to be careful But my girls were so calm. I mean, I barely used my smoker at all. I didn't get stung. No one was like bouncing off my veil. No one became aggressive. They were just totally relaxed about the whole thing, which was really incredible to me because I was sure that I was annoying them. But it kind of made me have that moment where I'm just like, oh my God, my bees are truly magical creatures. (laughs) So I got eight frames from my Saskatraz bees and I went into my Ohio hive and I got two fully capped frames of honey from them and then I brought them into the house and I had them sit overnight not for any special reason just because I was tired and overheated and I knew I wasn't going to get to it that evening so the next day I made sure I had everything ready and I started uncapping the frames So what I had bought is something called a gorosa, and I hope that's how you say it, a gorosa beekeeping scraper. And I will post a link in the episode description and also on my blog, you know, where I always do a rundown of everything. And I'm going to have pictures of uh, products that I use, honey, hives, all that kind of good stuff. So the thing with this beekeeping scraper is that it sits on the edge of a five gallon bucket and it balances your frame and it will fit deep frames medium frames all the frames and it balances that you can just cut those cappings off and they fall down into the bucket so it's really really useful and when I saw it I thought that it looked like a good product and so I thought okay we'll give it a go and I did like it a lot it it definitely helped um Because I was working with medium frames, after I uncapped them, they were placed radially in the extractor where the bottom of the frame was towards the center. And I quickly realized that I had to kind of move the frames around a little bit to get a better balance in the drum. Uh, My husband actually helped me quite a lot with this. Um, You know, he he was like picking up frames and figuring out which was heavier and, and how we should place them and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And he loved it because there's just honey dripping everywhere and he's just licking his fingers every time he had finished. He's just like, nom, 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 nom. So that was great. Um, And I did realize that I'm not very good at uncapping or I should say uncapping is a skill that you might need some experience to really improve or at least that's the case for me because I somehow managed to cut myself at one point I cut part of the wooden frame and the earlier frames that I uncapped had like really big chunks of comb accidentally cut out of them which didn't help with the whole balancing issue but I got better over time so yeah just be just be prepared that it might not go as smoothly as all those YouTube videos that you've watched but it's just one of those skills that you learn. So as I said before I couldn't bolt down the extractor so there were some balance issues and one of the big things that I had with this extractor is that I couldn't run it faster than about 40 rpm but this wasn't really an issue because I put those t- like uh, sorry I put those eight frames in and I spun it at just under 40 rpm And within 20 to 30 minutes, all the honey was extracted and there wasn't a lot of damage to the wax comb. And I did actually read that the lower speeds, the lower spinning speeds will do the least damage to your comb. But obviously, you know, if you have like supers and supers of honey to extract, you're going to want to get to the higher speeds because then you're looking at like a couple of minutes per frame. So it's a big difference. Um, But then you probably are going to need to bolt things down or modify the extractor to be better balanced. Now, this extractor is fitted with a honey gate like almost all are. And what I did was I placed a five gallon bucket underneath with a double metal sieve on top. And I really like this sieve because it has an adjustable frame to it. So it will fit over almost any sized bucket. And it's a double sieve where it has two different... um, oh what would be the term thicknesses uh, of um each sieve so it gets progressively finer so it goes through a larger sieve to begin with and then a finer sieve at the bottom so it's like a really really straining as much like pieces or impurities or whatever you want to call it out of your honey And again i'm going to post a link to where um, i got mine from i got mine from amazon but i've seen them at like every bee supply store and i just i love them i think they are invaluable if only for that adjustable frame so i set the honey gate open just a little i wanted a really slow pour from the extractor because i wasn't going to sit there and just watch it the whole time and there was a possibility that the sieve could overflow so i wanted to make sure that it was a good speed and I ended up with my bucket, which again is five gallons or about 60 pounds, was somewhere between three quarters to two thirds full, which is maybe, I want to say, 45 to 50 pounds of honey. So um, pretty pretty good. <laughs> um, and then what I, I did from there is I actually had a settling slash dispensing tank which again it's like it's just another big bucket but it has a honey gate on it and my original plan had been that this would go under the extractor with the sieve on top but it was actually just a little too tall and instead of faffing around with raising the extractor up what I did is I had it go into this first bucket and then I poured from the first bucket into the dispensing tank and what I ended up doing is um, propping up the the bucket against the wall so that it could pour into the dispensing tank overnight, which got every last drop of honey out of it. Um, and I did find that there are these um, they're called bucket bench pail stands that kind of does the same thing. So instead of propping it up against the wall, it holds that upper bucket so that the honey can pour out and I think I'm going to pick some of those up but it would have been really helpful and um, I can kind of see now how invaluable they are. So the tank that it went into the dispensing tank or the settling tank whatever you want to call it I originally really, really wanted a stainless steel one because I don't like plastic. I know I've talked about this before. Uh, This year is the year where I committed to massively reducing my plastic waste in every area of my life that I could. And so I really, really didn't want to get a plastic bucket. But my plastic bucket costs like $16 and it's really good uh, food grade plastic that I'm gonna use over and over and over again. The stainless steel tank didn't hold as much honey and was over a hundred dollars. So I did talk to my husband about it, and we just decided and he, you know, he pointed out that food grade plastic is not the same as regular plastic. And if I'm going to be using it, using it year after year, it's not gonna go sit in a landfill somewhere. And so I didn't need to worry too much about not getting the metal. And I do agree, because I don't really want to pay that kind of money for something that's not even gonna hold that much honey. So long story short it went into plastic which meh okay and um, I will post again a picture of this uh, bottling bucket uh, or dispenser or whatever you want to call it um, in the episode description on my blog and one thing I also learned during this process was I should have bought one of those uh, lid openers for the buckets because I didn't quite realize just how freaking tight those lids go on and the lid was on some of these buckets when I got them and I had to have my husband help me because uh I have pretty weak hands due to carpal tunnel and I just couldn't I couldn't make it work so again I'll post a link to one of these five gallon lid openers they're not expensive they're usually around six to seven dollars and they just make getting that lid off a lot easier so I now have I don't know 45 to 50 pounds of honey in a dispensing tank what did I do with it? Well, I let it sit for a while because I have read that like any air or whatever is going to rise to the surface, which is, is what you want. And then what I did is I put down more plastic and I put the honey dispensing tank up on my dryer with the honey gate hanging over the edge, And then beneath this, I had plastic all over the floor and then a spare bucket in case of spillage. I then very slowly opened the honey gate to fill each of my glass bottles and I was actually surprised by how messy this process was. So I don't know if this is normal or if it's just the way this particular honey gate was designed but I found that the honey would ooze over the top of the honey gate lid and around the sides of it. So sometimes like separate drips would come down like hit the side of the bottle or go into that Bucket that I had on the floor, and it just ended up being a little bit of a stickier endeavor than I hoped for. So after I'd filled all the uh, buckets bottles, um, I added all the caps, made sure they were all nice and tight, and then I wiped everything down with a water and vinegar solution to remove any sticky honey residue, and then let them dry. And after they were dry, I stuck on the custom labels that I ordered that have like homestead hens and honey farm printed on them which i got from canning crafts and i'll link to them i also linked them on my instagram if you read over there so i went with uh two sizes of glass bottles this time i had 16 ounce oval bottles and three or two ounce skep bottles and the skep bottles i got to be like gifts for friends and neighbors And other beekeepers. And I've already gifted some away. So I'm really excited. I was so excited to give uh, my friends their little skep with like bee stickers. And I have these really cute vintage tags where I wrote, you know, like my first honey harvest, July 2020. And for my uh, Canadian bestie, I wrote like from Canadian bees because it's like my Saskatras bees. And I've put them all away. And I think I had 12 of the 16. ounce bottles and 24 of the two to three ounce bottles and I ran out of bottles before I ran out of honey so I need to make another order and I think I'm going to get some 32 ounce glass bottles for my personal use because my husband and I love it (laughs) we love honey so that's great Um, and then something I did as well is I was really excited to do this I took one of each bottle, so one of the cute little skeps and one of the big oval bottles with the custom label and I padded the heck out of them and I put them in a box and with a thank you card that I sent to my parents-in-law. So they have been just incredibly supportive of beekeeping now everyone in my family um, apart from my dad who as I've mentioned previously I don't talk to anymore because of his behavior Um, basically everyone in my family who is still part of my family is really supportive of beekeeping and um, you know and chicken keeping actually and they get me wonderful gifts with chickens and bees on them and books about them and it's and it's it's been really amazing but my in-laws have for the past two years for my birthday and Christmas given me almost exclusively useful bee items and it kind of culminated in um, they actually gave me my extractor as an incredibly generous Christmas present so this kind of level of generosity is just I feel incredibly fortunate to be the recipient of it and I'm so thankful and I always tell them and I try and show them my appreciation but I have been planning for a while that because of all their support the very first honey harvest I would put together this little package for them so that they would have you know they would have honey from my very first harvest and I put in that card that basically thanked them for all their support and thanked them for their generosity and said that you know I couldn't have done this honey harvest without all their help and i'm really excited for them to get it they haven't received it yet because it just went in the mail but uh, fingers crossed that they love it i know they don't use honey a lot in like drinks or food um like as a topping but my mother-in-law bakes with honey all the time so i'm really excited to hear what she thinks about it um now uh before i go into cleanup which is the not very fun part of honey harvesting I did want to say that this honey is delicious (laughs) it is genuinely good and I don't think I'm just saying that because it's my honey and my ladies made it it's really really freaking good honey Um, and it's that beautiful kind of pale amber that I think is very characteristic of spring honey it is a little runnier so it's less viscous than what I've seen of full honey for instance and it's a absolutely incredible sweet but slightly tangy or tart flavor and for the longest time I kept thinking what does this remind me of I knew it reminded me of something I'd had before and it finally clicked that what it reminds me of is a really really high quality marmalade you know the kind made with really good fresh from the Farm citrus fruit with the big chunks of uh rind in there that is somehow tart and sweet and lightly citrusy and just absolutely delicious and that's what this honey reminds me of I am a little bit obsessed with it um so yeah I am I couldn't be more thrilled with how this first harvest has gone um I feel incredibly lucky I have tons of honey I still have honey that needs bottling and I didn't think uh, that I would sell any from this first harvest but I actually might end up selling some because I obviously ended up with more than I anticipated. So as much as I am going to set aside some like absolutely massive jars for my own personal consumption and also the little ones for gifts, uh, I think I maybe could look into what I need to do to sell it. So I'll check out my local government page about whether I need a permit and I also think about how I will sell it during this pandemic so that's pretty exciting so real quick before I go because I know this is getting a little long (laughs) um clean up not as bad as I anticipated it would be which is the good news so for the wax cappings what I did with them is I actually Put them on the double sieve that I talked about, the double strainer, because obviously there was still quite a lot of honey to them. And once they'd had quite a while to drain, I then took a baking pan and covered it in parchment paper, spread the wax cappings over it, and then I took it outside and I put it on a table. Uh, in an area where bees could access it but it wasn't so close to the hives that I was worried that it might induce robbing behavior or attract wasps or things like that and within just a couple of days the sticky mess of wax cappings that had honey on it was now just beautiful clean wax Um, So what I did with that is I tipped it into a airtight bucket that I am storing until I'm ready to start processing it because processing wax is a whole other thing. I don't have the equipment on hand. So something that I would like to use is a solar melter, which uh, where you basically use the heat of the sun coming through glass to melt the wax and then you have the whole thing so that it pulls at the bottom and then there's all kinds of things you can do to filter it to process it to a point where you're left with all the impurities like bits of bee parts propolis things like that are removed and you're left with that beautiful clean fragrant beeswax for use in cosmetics or candle making So that's going to be a whole other episode when I finally get to that because I am not ready, I'm not prepared and I need to figure out what I want to do there. So another thing that I did is um, if I had any buckets that still had kind of a messy mix of wax and honey in them, I would take them out and I would place them upside down on that baking sheet that I mentioned so that the bees could like go underneath and then fly up into it but they didn't drown in any honey that might pool at the bottom any extracted frames just went right back out to the hives so as I mentioned previously I split the frames between two hives um, alternating them with foundation only frames to try and encourage wax production of those frames and um To continue my cleanup I removed the motor from the extractor so you are going to need to um, use a wrench for that. So I took that off, I carefully placed it aside, I wiped down any parts of that that got kind of sticky with honey and then I moved the extractor drum outside Oh, I took the frame holder or the cage inside. I took that out first. So it wasn't like banging around inside. And then I took the extractor drum out and I just used my hose and I just like sprayed the heck out of everything. Then uh, took a clean cloth, rubbed everything down inside, made sure there was no honey or wax residue, rinsed it down again. And then I set it out in the sunshine to air dry. And that was kind of it. Um, That was all I needed to do. I know... Um, a number of things that I've read have said to use like soap and water I, I really didn't find that I needed to that all the honey was gone because my hose has like a power extension to it so it just like sprayed the heck out of everything it blasted all that honey off blasted all the wax off rubbed it with a cloth nothing was sticky everything was pristine I think I can get away with it but watch this space <laughs> and then obviously I put things back together again and put it uh in storage. Well, I tucked it away for now because hopefully I'm gonna have a second harvest at some point. And that was it. So really it went pretty darn well. Um, I had very few mishaps. I had a couple of bucket issues where like I was trying to balance a bucket and it wasn't as perfectly balanced as I thought and it fell over and so we had a tiny bit of honey spillage, um, but that just went back out for the bees or my husband swooped in and ate it (laughs) because he is very much enjoying this honey harvesting process Um, but yeah it's been going really great I'm very happy I was so so nervous about my honey extraction because it was like an all new set of skills I was really worried that I'd like mess something up that I'd get some kind of debris or something into my honey I've been super paranoid about you know keeping all the lids on super tight making sure like no dust or whatever can get into it you know I want this honey to be beautifully pristine because of the fact that I started to realize that I might be selling it and obviously I want to meet the highest standards that I can because I want to feel good about what other people are consuming if it's coming from me so yes I'm very happy I'm very pleased with how things went I hope that this kind of rundown of the process is helpful to those of you who are starting your first honey harvest or looking to start at your first honey harvest or maybe you just finished your first harvest and you're reassured that other people make mistakes and uh, realize that they're really bad at uncapping (laughs) frames or didn't have a properly balanced extractor and so had to run it at slow speeds you know I'm always trying to be upfront about not just things that I learn but mistakes that I make and then what I learn from those mistakes because I mean that's that's a big part of learning new skills you know you're going to fail sometimes or you're going to find yourself you know feeling a lot more unprepared than you expected and that's okay you know no one's perfect even my sweet bees aren't perfect Um, they like to think they are (laughs) but um you know even they can have their bad days so I hope that this was clear, I hope that I haven't rambled too much, I'm pretty tired today so I feel like I'm not as focused as usual but I hope that this was clear and um, a big thank you to people on social media who have commented on my um, photos that I've shared about my harvest, it really means the world to me when you reach out and connect. Um, I'm thinking about maybe doing some fun things moving forward. So um, I have like an extra book on top bar beekeeping that when I get around to reviewing that book, I'm thinking about doing a giveaway of my extra copy. I thought that um, that could be kind of fun. Maybe doing a giveaway of uh, some of my honey Or um, for those of you who craft the uh, I have a like a stack of chicken feathers that I've been holding on to for projects that never materialize. So I'm thinking that maybe it would be fun to do some kind of like gifting thing with those. So watch this space moving forward. I would and I would love to hear feedback about whether you'd be interested in some kind of book or honey giveaway. Let me know. Um, I am fundamentally a very lazy podcaster in the sense that when you start podcasting and you know you have to you have to have a host site right so I use Podbean and for those of you who maybe don't know I pay to use Podbean so they do offer free accounts but it limits your episodes and it limits you to five episodes and when you reach that limit of five if you want to add more you have to delete the previous episodes so in order to have an ongoing podcast where everyone can Access all my episodes right back to the beginning. I pay uh, a fee so that uh, they will host my episodes for me, and it's completely reasonable. So, I do pay out of pocket for this. And um, once you start paying, you get all these promotional emails about upgrading even more and how they can help you monetize your podcast by adding ads. And um, so, it's usually like adding ads or how to find sponsors or how to encourage engagement and usually engagement encouragement is things like being very prolific on social media, um, doing I don't know like weekly giveaways, weekly episodes, uh, starting a Patreon so that people can support you uh, financially and then you give them extra perks that can include Things like premium episodes, where if you pay a certain amount, you get this episode, blah, 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 blah. It's all this stuff that I'm going to be honest, I don't really want to do. Um, I love engaging with my listeners. I love connecting with people through Instagram, but I am very busy um, between the chickens and the bees and just the research that I do for the episodes and all the animals that I have and my reptile business and, um, you know, just everything, my dogs, everything, my health issues, I don't feel like I have it in me to do all this online stuff that's supposed to boost my listeners. So that's why I say at the end of every episode, um, you know, please like my post. if you can comment let me know you're there follow my website uh subscribe to the podcast if you're on things like iTunes I would love it if you left me a review that makes a huge difference um you know it, just sharing with other beekeepers or homesteaders or like tagging me on social media these look at the kind of things that if you're getting a benefit from the, this podcast and you would like to do that I would really appreciate it and that does help me and it feels a lot more organic to me than me spamming you weekly with you know constant I don't know sponsorship posts or whatever and um I can tell you that I will always be ad-free. I have no interest in adding ads to this podcast. And um, I just, I don't really like ads. I i would have to be really, really super on board with the business before I would even consider it. So don't worry about that. I'm not gonna start adding a ton of ads here. You are safe from that. This is an ad-free zone. So all that's to say that uh, I thought that giveaways could be a fun way for us to just connect and engage in a way that isn't high pressure. You have to make my podcast succeed. Um, and also I do have that extra book that I would like to do something with. And I thought maybe it could be fun um, because then maybe we could like read along together when I do the review, or maybe we could start like a, a beekeepers book club or something. So if anything like that sounds appealing, if you're interested in honey Or if you're interested in a book club or giveaways in the future, just let me know. I'd love to hear from what you want for this kind of podcast rather than what I'm told I have to do in order to engage more listeners. It just feels friendlier. It feels like more like what I'd like for this to be. So all my blathering aside, thank you as always for listening. Uh, Thank you for following me on social media. I love it when you tag me. I love it when you reach out. Uh, I love like just talking to people online. Um, Oh, and actually speaking about online stuff, I know I talk about them a lot, but the Hive Jive podcast recently did an episode on the Hives for Heroes program, which is a program, program that connects mainly veterans with beekeepers, but the focus is on support through trauma, people who are suffering from ptsd after serving in the military but because there's a trauma focus the people who run hives for heroes also talk about how they are open for those who have trauma in other areas so you don't have to be a veteran to take part but it connects veterans with beekeepers in a way that gives people who are suffering who might be struggling, something to focus on, something to work towards and brings together people through the shared love of beekeeping. So it's kind of everything that I love about beekeeping. So I would highly recommend you listen to that. I will add a link in my episode description and on my blog to both the hives for hero main website. And if I can that episode of the hive jive, because I would be very grateful if you listened, I think it's a wonderful program. I'm intending to look into it. Um, I would actually really, really love to be a part of it. Um, I think it's wonderful what they're doing. Uh, I think it's a great way to connect people through beekeeping. I think it's only going to be good for people and good for honeybees. And, um, I, I'm not a veteran but I do have trauma in my history that has affected me and I'm very fortunate that I've been in therapy and I'm medicated and I have been for many years and I've found ways to healthily deal with my personal trauma but other people maybe didn't have those options and sadly veterans particularly in the U.S. They actually don't get a lot of support. Once they're out of the military, there isn't much for them in terms of mental health support and support groups and things that really help them. And this is touched on a little bit in the Hive Dive episode by the representative of the the Hives for Heroes program. So I know how fortunate I am. I feel very lucky. And I also, in some level, know what it's like to be a survivor of trauma And process it and so I really think that you know if you can spare like an hour listen to the episode if it speaks to you if they have a chapter in your area maybe just look into it have a look at the website that might be something that you'd really love to engage with and at the very least we can share the message we can share that it's available we can share their social media pages we can share their websites just kind of get the word out a little more so that maybe if there are veterans Or trauma survivors in your community they will have this option so with that I will leave you and um, I would just say as always you know stay safe my friends stay as healthy as you can please wear your masks please 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 do it as a personal favor for me your friendly British beekeeper wear your mask and as always hug your hands and then wash your hands Thank you so much and take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.